This morning I am going to uh, take this opportunity uh, to give my response uh, to the uh, recent Supreme Court decision uh, redefining marriage. Now when the decision originally came out I gave, I had the opportunity to give a brief response but I'd like to give a full response uh, today. The greater the darkness of sin falls on a culture the greater the opportunity for God's people to shine as lights for Jesus. There's nothing more that I want to communicate today than that reality. This is not a time for fear in the Christian community. It is, a, it is not a time for us to panic. It's not a time for us to wring our hands in despair. It's not a time to curse the darkness. This is a time to shine for Jesus. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 says, We are to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach, living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast, to the word of life. Simply put, uh, this is a time for the church to be and do what God called us to be and do. And what did God call us to be? The body of Jesus Christ. To walk the truth, to talk the truth, and to love like Jesus. And what did Jesus call us to do? To share the only cure that exists for the ills of our nation, and that is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that has the power to save people from their sins and transform their lives. Now, in the four points you find in your sermon notes, I simply want to share how we should view as believers the Supreme Court decision from a biblical perspective, what we should anticipate going forward in light of the decision and how we should respond as followers of Christ. So uh, follow along, and I'm just basically going to read uh, through this statement, and then I'll pause at various points to uh, amplify, and uh, I have about 20 minutes to do all of that. So uh, you be very, very attentive. The Supreme Court decision redefining marriage to include same-sex marriage does not change God's definition of marriage as the union between one man and one woman. Uh, Take your Bibles, let's pause right there, turn to the Matthew 19 passage. We don't have time to look up all the references that I have in your sermon notes today. I would encourage you to do so, but uh, we will take the time to look at uh, some And uh, this is one I would like us to look at. This is Christ's statement on marriage, which affirms the testimony of Scripture that we see beginning from the beginning in the book of Genesis all the way uh, through to the book of Revelation. Notice Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 4, And he answered and said, Have you not read that he, God, who created them from the beginning, made them what? male and female. And he said, notice, for this cause, in light of the fact that God 
made them male and female with their unique differences and distinctives. He says, for this cause, a man shall what? Leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, going back to the handout, that next statement, although the Supreme Court is to be respected as the highest court in our land, it does not stand above the divine court of God. And it does not possess the authority to redefine God's law as defined in God's Word. Marriage was, is, and always will be the union between one man and one woman as ordained by God from the creation of the human race. Therefore, the Supreme Court decision has no validity before the divine court of God and is not to be accepted by the Christian community. We are committed to remain faithful to the laws of the one true judge to whom all men will give an account. You know, that Acts 5.29 passage says we must obey God, what? Rather than men. If you're familiar with the context, the disciples were commanded by the authorities of their day to cease teaching and preaching concerning the name of Jesus Christ. And this was their response. We must obey God rather than men. And as a result, if you're familiar with the passage, they received a very good flogging uh, before they were released. And then, of course, you know the tremendous persecution uh, that they experienced throughout their lives with every one of the disciples being martyred for his faith in Christ except for the apostle uh, John. Go to the second point now. The Supreme Court decision... Redefining marriage to include same-sex marriage normalizes and institutionalizes homosexual behavior in the life of our nation by declaring it a right found in the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. That was the basis of the decision. Let me just pause right there because I believe this is extremely significant from a cultural perspective. Homosexual behavior, homosexual sin has been there from the beginning. We see it all the way back in the book of Genesis. We've seen it throughout history where it's been practiced, it's been flaunted, it's been celebrated. But folks, it is a very unique step for a nation, for a culture to sanction homosexual behavior as normal and literally institutionalize it in that nation's constitution as a fundamental right. In other words, giving sanction. Going back to the handout, God's Word pronounces judgment on any nation which defines evil as good, darkness as light, and bitter as sweet. When any nation approves what God condemns, that nation stands under God's wrath. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans 1. And let me just read for you, and as you follow in your Bibles, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, it needs very little commentary, and it speaks very directly to where we are as a nation, where we are as a culture, which is standing under the wrath of God, racing towards judgment. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That word suppress is very interesting. It, 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 it's the idea that they knew the truth, but they were unwilling to acknowledge it, surrender to it, and therefore they attempted to suppress it. Because Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. All you have to do is look at creation and we see what? This incredible design which leads you to the conclusion there must be a creator. You see the unique distinctiveness of man being over and above all other forms of life. And again, the only explanation for those two mysteries is the existence of God, which would lead an individual to the conclusion that there is a creator. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became, notice, futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And that's what sin does. It deceives, it brings blindness, it brings darkness over a person's heart and life. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, and for their women, and for their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And then verse 32 is a key verse. And although, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give notice, hearty approval to those who practice them. And that's exactly what the Supreme Court did in their decision. Gave hearty approval and sanctioned and normalized homosexual behavior in the life of our nation. Basically saying what? There are no absolutes any longer. Anything goes. There's only relative uh, truth now. Going back to the handout. Our nation will reap the consequences of our sin. Galatians 6, 7 says what? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man, a nation, will uh, reap uh, what they have sowed. So what should be the Christian response? We are not to lash out in anger over the collapse of our culture, but weep over those broken by the collapse. And let me just pause right there. I've, sh I've shared with you many times from this pulpit 
that no nation, no person ever breaks God's laws without becoming broken on them. And we're going to see the nation reap the consequences of the direction that we're moving in. We're already seeing that. This decision is an evidence of God's judgment, an evidence of God's uh, wrath. And we should weep over that collapse and weep over those that will become broken by the collapse of our nation. Our response should be as the prophet Jeremiah. If you're familiar with the book of Lamentations, he's literally, it's a eulogy as he weeping, mourning over the destruction of God's city. The city of Jerusalem who also forsook God, raced towards judgment, refused to heed his warnings and plunged into destruction. And he said, tears... This is Lamentations 3, verses 48 and 49. Tears stream from my eyes because of the destruction of my people. My tears flow endlessly. So again, we're not to lash out in anger over the collapse of our culture, but weep over those broken by the collapse. And then we are to engage in the two God-given graces, the only two God-given graces that can rescue people from sin and God's judgment. And the first is prayer. Habakkuk 3.2, this would be a great prayer for the time in which we live. God, in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk lived in a time of judgment, a time of impending judgment, and that was his prayer. He knew God's wrath was going to be unleashed on the nation, but he prayed, in wrath, remember mercy. And it will also be important for us to remember the main message of the book of Habakkuk. That the just, the righteous shall live by what? Faith. And then he also uh, guaranteed Habakkuk that although judgment was coming, the last word would not be the failure of God's people, but the triumph of God's love. And he said, Habakkuk, the earth will be filled with the glory of God. And at the very end of chapter 2, he says, and Habakkuk, let me just remind you, God's still on the throne. And folks, God is still on the throne today. And he's still in control. And not only prayer, but the gospel. And that is one of my primary emphasis, if not the primary emphasis, that I'm trying to communicate this morning. As never before, the importance of us remaining true to the gospel and and taking the initiative to share the gospel. Paul said, what, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed? For it's the power of God into salvation to to everyone who believes. This is not a time... In light of the fact that God's truth is not popular for us to retreat as if we should be embarrassed or ashamed. No, we should stand on that truth regardless of how unpopular it is. And we are to share that truth as we live it to the culture in which we live. Knowing that the gospel, the message of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, the reconciling power of the cross can change lives. And it can bring transformation. Look at the third point that addresses the issue of uh, religious liberty and sort of what we should anticipate from this decision. The Supreme Court decision redefining marriage to include same-sex marriage will be used, and this is inevitable, it is inescapable, will be used as a weapon to attack the religious liberty of those whose convictions prevent them from officiating at, participating in, or celebrating homosexual unions. We have already witnessed wedding vendors, military chaplains, and others come under attack, and we can expect these attacks to escalate. 
Now, let me just give you a few examples. Now, you could just, we could spend all day giving examples, but just to give you a few. Uh, Aaron and Melissa Klein, many of you are probably familiar with this case. They run a bakery in Oregon, and they have been fined $135,000 for not baking a cake for a same-sex wedding. And, of course, they did not do that on grounds of conscience uh, because of their Christian convictions. Jack Phillips, a baker in Colorado, was found guilty of discrimination for declining as well on conscience grounds to provide services for a same-sex ceremony. The same happened to Arlene's Flowers in Washington State. And listen to uh, a portion of a letter the owner of the flower shop sent to the state attorney general. She said, I never imagined that using my God-given talents and abilities and doing what I love to do for over three decades would become illegal. I certainly don't relish the idea of losing my business, my home, and everything else that your lawsuit threatens to take from my family. But my freedom to honor God in doing what I do best is more important. Wes Mulder, I don't know how many of you are familiar with this case. He's a highly, highly decorated military chaplain who has uh, served with the uh, Navy SEALs. He's had 19 years of distinguished service. He is facing a Navy discharge for offering his biblical views on sex and marriage in private counseling sessions with sailors. He was removed from the promotion list where he is listed as early promote, which is the highest possible rating. He was detached for cause, which is the military equivalent of being terminated for cause and removed from his unit. And he's been brought before an, an official board of inquiry where he could potentially be forced out of the Navy. A Kentucky t-shirt company is being sued for not printing t-shirts to promote a gay pride festival, again on the grounds of discrimination. A Mennonite couple in Ames, Iowa, was forced to close their wedding venue business for being unwilling to participate to allow their facility to be used for same-sex marriages. Elaine Photography was found guilty of discrimination, again, for uh, being unwilling to participate in same-sex unions. Her case went all the way to the Mexico Supreme uh, Court where they ruled against the owner. And here is a quote, an astounding quote, from uh, the concurring opinion of one of the justices who ruled against her. And by the way, this went all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and they refused to hear the case, which allowed the lower court uh, decision to stand. This is uh, this, uh, one of the justices, his concurring opinion for the majority. He says, all of which I assume is little comfort to the Huguenins. That's the couple that uh, run the photography shop who now are compelled by law to compromise the very religious beliefs that inspire their lives. Though the rule of law requires it, the result is sobering. In short, I would say to the Huguenins, with the utmost respect, it is the price of citizenship. It is the price of citizenship. You've also witnessed uh, since the Supreme Court decision uh, the number of court clerks that are being forced to resign all over the country uh, because of their unwillingness to issue marriage license uh, to uh, same-sex uh, couples. In regard to the pro-life movement, one of my gravest concerns going forward is Christian adoption agencies. 
uh, we need to pray for them. They will come under incredible attack. I guarantee this will bring tremendous litigation against adoption agencies if they are unwilling to place children uh, with homosexual couples. Uh, they are going to be uh, litigated uh, on uh, discrimination charges. And, uh, and we've seen this in, uh, for example, Massachusetts, uh, which was one of the first states to uh, legalize same-sex unions. It, it ran the Christian adoption agencies out of that state, literally, uh, where they could no longer operate unless they were willing to place children with homosexual uh, uh, couples. You say, well, what will it mean for the church? Probably three fundamental areas. Uh, now, now you've got to understand, uh, no one can uh, foretell the, the future. We just know that religious liberty is under attack. We know that this decision is definitely going to be used as a wedge, as a hammer in that attack uh, to uh, attack uh, Christian groups on the, on the basis of discrimination. And, uh, and probably the three areas where we're going to begin to see litigation, and it's already begun, uh, related to the church, is number one, use of facilities. Uh, in other words, if you refuse to allow your facilities to be used for a uh, same-sex uh, marriage. Uh, uh, also, uh, tax-exempt status of the church. Guarantee that's going to come under attack. Uh, uh, since the decision... They've already, they've already been. New York Times, others, Times Magazine, uh, they have, they're already calling that this needs to be examined and that if the churches are unwilling uh, to adhere to the Supreme Court decision and get on board in terms of recognizing same-sex union, then we should lose our ta tax-exempt uh, status. Uh, uh, I believe that uh, th eventually ministers are going to come under attack if we refuse... Uh, to marry. I know many say, well, no, we have, you know, the First Amendment and uh, we have other things. And that's true. And hopefully those things were went out. But you just don't know. There was, an, an, there was a fascinating exchange in the oral arguments in this case uh, that was prompted by uh, Justice Scalia, who's one of the most conservative justices on the court. And the question he posed to the attorney that was... Uh, uh, arguing for same-sex unions, uh, he asked the question, well, will not this jeopardize the religious liberty of ministers who refuse to marry same-sex couples? The lawyer's immediate response was, oh, no. You know, we, we have a long history. Uh, you can look at the st states that have legalized same-sex union, and uh, there's relig religious liberty clauses. And he said, but wait a minute. What you're asking us to do in this decision is something totally different. You're asking us to write into the United States Constitution that this is a fundamental right. A fundamental right. And so Scalia then said, so then how can you say that the state is going to give the authority to a minister to marry when that minister then refuses to recognize and acknowledge the United States Constitution, what you're asking us to do in this decision. So I think, I think a clash is coming uh, down the road here. But I think those three areas are areas that are going to be significant battlefields for the church. Use of facilities, the tax exempt status, 
And again, uh, ministers refusing to marry same-sex unions. And I'm not going to go into any detail right now, but uh, uh, here at Edgewood, along with many other churches around the nation, uh, we're having to review some of our policy and procedures and uh, make changes uh, to try to protect ourselves. And we are that's under works right now, and you'll be informed of more of that as we go uh, forward. And then look at that last point as I wrap this up. The Supreme Court decision redefining marriage to include same-sex marriage must not distract God's people from our primary mission. Marriage is not the ultimate battleground. Our enemies are not homosexuals, and politics will not provide the ultimate solution. Reality is our nation will never rise above the morality of its citizens, and the majority of Americans do not know Christ or adhere to a biblical worldview. Our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual powers of darkness who have blinded the minds of the unbelieving from seeing the truth of the gospel. Our mission remains the same, to share the life-transforming power of the gospel with those who are lost. Homosexuals, like all other sinners, and their sin is no greater than a heterosexual's sin of immorality. But homosexuals, like all other sinners, need to be warned of impending eternal judgment and lovingly offered forgiveness, grace, and new life through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that 1 Corinthians 6 passage. It's a great passage to end on to show the power of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 6. I'll begin reading at verse 9. And we'll read verses 9, 10, and 11. Apostle Paul wrote, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then look at verse 11. And such were, past tense some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. There's no sin that is beyond God's grace to forgive, beyond God's power to change a life. So look at the conclusion. The church must not retreat in fear and discouragement, but boldly take the initiative as never before to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our culture the way Jesus shared it with His, full of grace and what? Truth. Full of grace and truth. Again, not in anger, but in love for all mankind. And as we enter communion later in the service today, I think this would be a wonderful time for each of us as followers of Christ just to renew our commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, not to be ashamed of the gospel, but know that this gospel is the power of God into salvation. And to renew our commitment in this day to stand on God's truth no matter how unpopular it may become, no matter how hostile our nation uh, may come against Christianity, 
but we'll stand on it, we'll live on it, and we'll share it regardless of the what? Consequences. Regardless of the consequences. And yes, I think I probably failed to uh, bring about all of point uh, three there, but when necessary, when necessary, if, if necessary, to practice civil disobedience. Whenever we are commanded to do something which is contrary to God's law, we are to disobey. Uh, again, regardless of the comp uh, cost, uh, regardless of the comp uh, consequences. So bow with me in prayer and let me pray. And this will serve as our offertory prayer. And so men, after I pray, I will ask you to immediately come and receive this morning's offering. offering and then the uh, service will, uh, will continue with Andy leading us. Uh, Father, truly you have uh, never promised in your word that you would give the church religious liberty, but you have promised that you would give us grace to shine for Jesus, regardless of the circumstances in which we live. And Lord, we've even seen in our study of the book of Hebrews how they became battered down, those Hebrew believers, they came battered down uh, as a result of persecution. Uh, they became discouraged. They were beginning to retreat in their faith. And Father, I, I pray that that would not happen with us. I pray that you would give us the courage, as the writer of Hebrews was encouraging those Hebrew believers to stay true to the gospel, to advance the gospel, uh, and to trust you uh, to be true to us as we are true uh, to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace uh, to shine for Jesus. And thank you that the greater the darkness, the greater the opportunity for us to shine. But we also realize the greater we shine, the more visible a target we make for the enemy. And so, Lord, we thank you that uh, nothing can separate us from your love. Not persecution, not tribulation, uh, not a law like the one we've been discussing here today. And that you literally cause the wheels of history to turn uh, for the good of your people. And, uh, and Lord, we so often quote Romans 8.28 in relationship to our individual lives. For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But Lord, the greater application to that is to the body of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you that you are on the throne, that you are in control. And no matter how difficult the days may get ahead, you will even use those difficulties as we've been looking at in our study of Hebrews uh, to mature us, uh, to grow us in Christ-like character, uh, to grow us in our endurance and our staying power. And so, Lord, just give us the grace to remain faithful to you in any and all circumstances, for it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.